speaking of, of Thanksgiving, we're wrapping up a little three-part uh, series this morning on, on Thanksgiving and living a life of gratitude. And, and next week, uh, I hope this isn't a surprise to you, but we begin Advent uh, next Sunday. Uh, and, and Advent means that we are four weeks away from Christmas. Again, hope that is not a surprise to you, but it is coming. Um, and, and Advent is the, the time of year where we prepare and, and consider what it means that hope entered the world um, in the birth of a child. And the coming of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. It's one of my, my favorite seasons in the life of the church. And we're just really excited about uh, what we have to come. But it just, just felt like between um, our, our series on the Great Commission and ahead of Advent to really consider for a few weeks, what, is it, what does it mean for us? What, what is the potential? What, what is the gift? What is the benefit of living a life of gratitude, seeking to be grateful um, people? And and, and so if we, you know, in considering the, the first week and looking at, at Hebrews 12 and, and the beginning of Hebrews 12, 12, 1 and 2, therefore since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses and then in order to appreciate what the author of Hebrews is saying there, we have to go back to 11 and, and we see that the, the source of gratitude is all that, all that God has, has done for us and not only us but those who have gone before us. And then in week 2, we, we considered the witness of gratitude and, and to be a people of gratitude, how does that bear witness to our faith in the world around us? Uh, because the world is desperate um, for, for something to hope in and, and if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, are, are you a reflection of that hope? And one of the ways that we reflect the hope that we profess as Christ followers is in the gratitude that we have for what Christ has done for us, first and foremost. It's not connected to the things that he gives us, although we can be grateful for that, and we should be grateful for that. We'll talk about that this morning. Um, but but the, just the very simple fact that even though we are undeserved, we've done nothing to deserve God's love and mercy, God shares that with us freely. And, and the fact that we respond or choose to respond to that with gratitude is, is a witness to the world around us. Uh, and this morning, we're, con- we're going to consider the work of gratitude, in, not only in our lives, but um, in the church. And then again, always, we always have to ask the question, how is this bearing witness to our faith to the world around us? How are we proclaiming life in Jesus? How are we proclaiming the goodness of Jesus? Um, and, and so we always want to kind of view these things through that lens, because that's what the church exists uh, for. Let's read uh, the passage, and then I um, want to share some, just some thoughts on this. So we're in Philippians this morning, Hebrews the past two weeks, Philippians this morning, Philippians 4, um, beginning with verse 4. We'll read Philippians 4, 4 through 7. If you would, in honor of the reading of God's word, please stand. Paul writes these words to the church in Philippi, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. In doing some reading this week on, on Thanksgiving, and, and, and I don't mean Thanksgiving the holiday, I mean the act of giving thanks, doing some, um, some reading this week on gratitude. Uh, there, there are a number of physiological studies that, that, that teach us that 
the way that, that choosing to be grateful, choosing to give thanks, the way that that affects us physiologically. But I, but I wonder how it affects the people around us, right? And so I, I stumbled upon um, a, just a, a place where people are sharing their thoughts, you know, a forum. And, and someone posed the question. They said, well, what do you do um, about people that, that don't say thank you when you've, when you've done something kind for them? Like, how, how should I respond? And then they went on to say um, that they think that it's, it's becoming more and more common for people to just receive and, and for, for people to, you know, something kind is done for them. Maybe you hold the door for them or, or you, you pick up, you know, if somebody's dropped their groceries or dropped something, you rush to help them, you know, pick up. Or if, if somebody's navigating small children, you, you, you offer to help or, what, you know, whatever it may be. Like, you, you just, we, we look for opportunities to, to show kindness to people, and this person is saying, it's becoming more and more common, I think, for people to just, just receive that and brush past it and never say thank you. And they were clearly very bothered by this, because then they went on to say, I think it's because people are becoming more and more nar- narcissistic, like they're more and more self-focused, and, and I mean, listen, that's the gravitational pull of the world in which we live. It's a direct result of, of sin in the world. If you look back to the creation story, you see that that was the thing that the enemy preyed upon. What is God withholding from you? All of a sudden, the focus is, is you know, like goes from, from God and all that God has given our, our, our first parents, Adam and Eve, in the garden to what is God withholding from you? And they're like, yeah, what is God withholding from me? So this person is, uh, you know, narcissism, self-focused, like it's a, it is a symptom, it is a result of, of our brokenness and our sin in the world. But this person has just been out of shape over it. I think that people are becoming more and more narcissistic, they're more and more self-focused, and, and I just think it's a problem with the world. So what should I do uh, about people who, who choose not to say thank you when I do something nice for them? Now, if they are bothered by narcissism, listen to like the responses that are given, because they're clearly looking for a solution. And some of the responses that are given are in a very loud sarcastic voice, if you open a door for someone and they walk through it without acknowledging it, you should say, you're welcome. Because that's going to solve the problem. Or, and, and this, this, was, this popped up more than once, you should stop doing nice things for that person. All right, let's, let's, let's play that out. If, if there's a person in your life and you, you just feel like you, you do kind things for them and it's a person who never, like they've just stopped returning things. They've just stopped saying thank you. They've stopped acknowledging the fact that you're doing something kind for them. If the solution to, to narcissism and self-focus is to just stop being kind to that person, to stop doing nice things for someone, what happens if, if, if we, we play that out? First of all, like that, that would begin really early in childhood, right? I mean, the number of times you've heard as a parent, the number of time, or the number of times you've heard in your life or you've said as a parent, what do you say? Thank you, right? I mean, that, we, we want to, to teach our children to be grateful, right? And there's thank you, you know. Are we teaching them why they should be grateful? I, I don't know. We, we, just, we at least want our kids to say please and, and thank you, right? Be on your best behavior. Say please and thank you. You're a direct representation of me. Don't put your elbows on the table. Don't wipe your arm with your sleeve. Like, you're, you're representing me when you go to someone else's house. But if, if we were to stop doing kind things for people who, who did not say thank you, 
Like if you somehow exhaust that privilege in your life or, or the ability to receive because you've stopped or you missed an opportunity to say thank you, then all of a sudden you have a world full of people who are not doing kind things or not showing uh, love or not caring for the people around them, then, then guess what? We, we all do become narcissistic and self-focused. So the solution, according to this, this form, the solution to narcissism and self-focus is to stop serving the people around you, which is only going to make us more narcissistic and self-focused. Because then you stop thinking about what can I do to, to show love and care to someone else and begin thinking, how come no one is caring for me? How come no one is showing love and care to me? Now, all right, so that, that's what the world begins to look like. Then what happens if, if, if God looks at us and says, gosh, I'm, I'm getting kind of tired of doing nice things for you and, and you, you don't thank me for it. That's three strikes, you're done, sorry. You've, you have exhausted uh, my grace for you. Scripture is very clear that there is nothing that we can do to exhaust God's grace for us. The end of Romans chapter 8, Paul lays it out. Neither height nor depth, neither angels nor demons, life nor death, anything in all of creation, nothing will keep us put us outside of the reach of God's grace, God's love for us in the person of Jesus. God continues to extend grace. God continues to serve. God continues to show love to us even when we are a people who don't always return thanks. How then can the solution for us when people in our lives choose not to return thanks be to write them off? If you are a follower of Christ especially. Gratitude, thanksgiving is one of the things that ought to mark the Christ follower and set us apart from the rest of the world, not just as individuals, but as the body, as the church. Right, so in, in order for us to appreciate and understand the, the work of thanksgiving and what we see Paul lay out for us in this passage uh, this morning, we have to understand some context. So this is considered... Uh, to be in the group of Paul's prison, prison letters, right? Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, which was one of the early churches, if not the first church that he planted, that, that God, God allowed him through the work of the Holy Spirit, sent him, planted the church in Philippi, one of the first churches that Paul planted, if not the first. Paul is now writing a letter of encouragement to the church in Philippi, to encourage them uh, in their faith based on what they are facing from the outside and then based on what they're dealing with on, on the inside. Now, it's not, it's not quite to the level of, of correction and like you need to deal with this stuff that's going on in the life of the church in the same way that um, his letters to the church in Corinth is, but there is some, some stuff that Paul is dealing with here in the life of the church. So Paul is writing this letter from prison. from prison, in chains for Christ. This imprisonment, Paul doesn't know how it's going to end. Is he going to be let go? Is this going to end in death, 
in execution because Paul is becoming a real problem for the Roman government. How is this going to end? Apparently, Paul's not concerned about how it's going to end. He's not worried about how his imprisonment is going to end because he knows that the one who holds his end is faithful and that his present circumstances do not determine his ultimate reality as a follower of Jesus. So Paul opens this, this exhortation, these final exhortations in, in his letter to the church in Philippi. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. How many of you have heard from someone in your life, you've, you, you've heard these words, hey, it's going to be okay. Hey, be grateful for what you have. Hey, hey rejoice, like, like show gratitude. And, and you think, hey, that's really easy for you to say, look at the, the vantage point or look at the position, look where you are in your life. Everything is just kind of working out for you. It's easy for you to tell me to rejoice. It's easy for you to tell me to be grateful. It's easy for you to tell me that it's going to be all right. It's all going to work out because things are working out for you. No one could accuse Paul of this. The church in Philippi is not going to hear these words. They're not going to read these words and be like, yeah, whatever, Paul. Like, life is pie in the sky for you, man. Of course you're going to tell us to rejoice. They read these words and, and think of their brother Paul, whom they love deeply. In fact, they've, they have sent help to him. They've sent, they've sent him things that, that he needs. They've sent someone to make sure that he's okay and because they know he's in prison, because they're hurting over the fact that he's in prison. And yet Paul is saying, hey, like whether I am you know, in chains or whether I am free, guess what? The mission is still the same. I'm going to preach the gospel because Jesus is still on the throne. It doesn't, my, my circumstances don't change that very important fact. The author of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1, says that, that everything was created through the word of Jesus. That Jesus was a part of the creation story. Everything was created through him and that he sustains everything by the power of his word and that he is also seated at the right hand of the throne of God. A seated position is not a position of worry, is it? A position of worry is what? I didn't say a picture of worry. <laughs> A position of worry tends to be pacing, right? Or the wringing of hands or fear. Like, I just need to do something because, because I can't do anything about the thing that I really want to happen. And, and yet Paul knows that the one who, who is sustaining everything, the one who is present even in his circumstances, is seated on the throne. He is not operating from a position of worry. Jesus is very confident in his ability. Not Paul's ability, Jesus' ability. Jesus is very confident in himself to sustain all things, to accomplish all things. That his power is sufficient, that his grace is sufficient, that his love is sufficient. He is not operating from a place of worry. And because Paul is so intimately connected to the person of Jesus, Paul is able to say, in chains, from a prison, rejoice. And I love the reiteration. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Anytime something is repeated in Scripture, particularly in, in Paul's letters, but anytime something is repeated in Scripture, we ought to pay attention to that. Rejoice. I will say it again. Rejoice. And it's an emphatic, it's an emphatic command. Like Paul is giving directive here for the church in Philippi to rejoice. Why? They are facing cultural pressure from the outside. <clears throat> they exist in a place where the, the culture of Rome 
they're under the rule of Rome like every, every church in, in this area, like every person that existed in this part of the world. They're under the rule of Rome. And Roman influence is incredibly strong. And so there's a cultural influence. There's an influence to, to see Caesar as Lord. Then, then they also have influence from um, who Paul refers to as Judaizers, those, those who would look at the, the Gentile Christians in the church in Philippi and say, yeah, you're not quite there. There are some other things that you need to do in order to be accepted by God, like circumcision. You need to you know, make sure that you follow these laws. And, and Paul deals with this in, in other letters, but essentially he's saying, no, it is for freedom that you have been set free. And, and what Jesus has accomplished on the cross is sufficient um, for you to, be, to stand pleasing before God. He who knew no sin, Paul, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. What Jesus has done is enough for you to stand before the Father, forgiven and free and whole. Now, we go on to live into that. Paul says earlier in this letter to the church in Philippi, with fear and trembling, work out your salvation. doesn't mean work for your salvation. He's saying, like, live into what it means to be saved. And I, I think one of the greatest gifts that... <clears throat> John Wesley, excuse me, gave us was this understanding of grace, that, that we have prevenient grace, this grace that's been at work in our lives before we were even aware of it. And then you have sanctifying grace, this grace that's the moment of recognition, the moment where we realize what Jesus has done for us on the cross and we say yes to it. And then, and then Wesley would say, then there's sanctifying grace, this grace that is at work in your life in which you are going on to become more like Jesus in this world. And, and so Paul would say, yeah, with fear and trembling, work out, yourself. like live into this faith, live into this hope, live into the grace that you uh, have been given in Jesus. Become more like him in this world. Those Judaizers, oh, thank you so much. Thank you. <clears throat> That's wonderful. So not only is there pressure from, from the outside world, pressure from the culture, but then there's, there's, there's pressure from Judaizers, those who would say to the church in Philippi, hey, we're your brothers and sisters, and then telling them that they're not enough. Right? And maybe some of you are like, yeah, I've felt that in the church. I've been welcomed in, or I've been, I've been made to believe that I'm, I'm a part of, of the family and then I continue to be told that I, I don't measure up, that I don't have what it takes, that I'm not enough. None of us are enough apart from the person of Jesus. Our brokenness and our sin levels the playing field. We are all in the process of being transformed into his likeness. We are all in the process of learning what it means to allow the grace of God to work in our lives. And sometimes we're closer to getting it right and other times we're not. Or in some areas of our lives, we're, we're, we're closer to living that out where there are other areas of our lives where we're like, no, I'm, I'm going to hang on to this because this is comfortable. I know how this works. I like the way this feels. So this pressure that the church in Philippi is, is receiving and Paul has just laid out this letter of encouragement to them. Hey, this should have bearing on the way that you love one another in Philippians 2, what we believe is one of the early hymns of the church. Your attitude should be that as the, the same as, as Jesus. What is that attitude? That he laid down his life 
that he considered himself nothing. He chose the way of humility. That should dictate the way that you operate in relationship with one another. So then he's, he's speaks about himself in, in Philippians chapter 3. Hey, everything that I once thought was important, those things are not the things that I'm chasing anymore. Because I chased all those things and I actually checked all of those boxes. I was the man. Like as far as, you know, Jewish men goes, Paul's like, I was the best. But when I met Jesus, I realized that all of that was rubbish. Now the only thing I want to know and the only thing worth pursuing in my life is Jesus. So this man writing from a prison cell. And, and this isn't just like he's, he's locked up in a room. Like he's typically, in, in this time and for Paul, he's, he is locked up and he's chained to a Roman guard. Right, so imagine, he's, I mean, I just imagine him writing this or dictating it and he's speaking it out loud. And so he's, he's also taking an opportunity to wear this guard out with the gospel. Like big Roman centurion and Paul, it's believed, was not a whole lot to look at. Like he was kind of a wiry, small, frail guy. And yet, man, imagine like he hears those, like the, the, the locks click into place and he just comes alive. Because he's like, now I have a captive audience. I'm not the one who's in prison. This guy is now chained to me. And I'm just going to wear him out with the goodness of Jesus. Not worried about his circumstances, but taking advantage and leveraging his circumstances because of his hope in Jesus, leveraging his circumstances for the sake of the gospel. That was his life. I mean, that, the number of churches that were planted. I mean, each of us, every church that exists could trace its roots back to the faithfulness of this man who was walking life in one direction and encountered Jesus and had his life completely flipped upside down and gave himself fully to the gospel. So he's writing a letter of encouragement. And for Paul, this carries some weight because he's a man who knows suffering. He knows what it is to suffer. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. As followers of Jesus, we have the opportunity to be a non-anxious presence in this world. A non-anxious presence. Think about, for so many people, people that we know, how they just feel like, man, the, the world is falling apart around me. I'm worried about an election. I'm worried about the, the way that the stock market, the housing market. I'm worried about all of these things that ultimately I don't have you know, complete control over, but I'm worried about these things because I've placed my hope in these things. And for them to encounter you as a follower of Christ, and it's not that you don't care about those things, because we're called to care about the things that are happening in this world. But to say, my hope does not depend on how that turns out. My hope depends on what is already written. My hope depends on the one who is seated on the throne. Therefore, we have an opportunity, because God is near in the person of Jesus and in the Holy Spirit, we have an opportunity to be a non-anxious presence in this world, where everything else around us and people around us are worried that everything's falling apart, we get to say, this is not all there is, and this does not determine our future if we would place our hope in Jesus Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. That's like telling a worrier not to worry, right? Don't worry. Oh, sorry, I hadn't thought of that. Thank you. That's so helpful. 
Do not be anxious about anything. But then he, he doesn't stop there. Do not be anxious about what? About anything. Well, what about, about anything? Well, what about, about anything? Do not be anxious about anything, writes the man who's imprisoned. But in every situation, in which situations? All of them. All of them. In the things that you are most worried about, in the things that you have absolutely no control over, and also in the day-to-day that you feel like, this is in my wheelhouse, I can do this. In every situation, all of them, in every situation, by prayer and petition, and here's the key, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. All right, prayer and petition, to present our request to God, to go to God in prayer, to petition God for the things that we want to see happen in our lives. It places us before the Lord, in our, it places us in our proper place before the Lord. It, it is our acknowledgement of the fact that we are in need of something greater than ourselves. It is an acknowledgement of the fact that we are in need of something greater than what this world can offer us. That we are in need of something greater than what this world promises us. That we are in need of something greater than the goodness of even the people around us. Now God might choose to use the people around us to answer the thing, uh, the request that we are lifting up to God. But to go to God in prayer and petition puts us in our proper place before the Lord. And that is a place of dependence. It is a place of humility. It is a place where we are willing to acknowledge our weakness and our need. Which flies in the face of everything that the world tells you to be. Don't be needy. Don't be dependent on others. You should have it figured out. You should be able to make your way. If you want something, chase it. Go get it. And so we we buy into this lie of self-sufficiency. I'm not saying you shouldn't be able to do for yourself. Like, like, don't sit around and you know, with an unclean room and say, "God, I just need you. I just need you to come and fold my clothes and clean up this mess." Like, I, I don't know. And we're, you know, we're preparing to have people for Thanksgiving, and so, kids, that's not, I'm not telling you to go sit in your room and and like just say, "God's going to do it." I just know, God's going to come and and fold these these clothes and clean up. But we buy into this lie of self sufficiency. One, that we don't need other people, and two, that we, we certainly don't need God because God is off, you know, worried about other things. There is not a place in this world, there is not a circumstance in which you are in in which God is not present by His Holy Spirit. So prayer and petition puts us in our right place before the Lord. And, and that's everything, I mean, that's, that's everything from giving thanks to, or, or, or offering prayer to God for... Um, you know, for like the need for healing in someone's life or in, or in your own life or, or offering prayer to God because you, you, you're like, God, I, you know, we talked about exams coming. God, I feel like I put in the work. I pray that, that my work would be reflected in, in the grade. And maybe God chooses to answer that prayer. I, I prayed a lot of divine intervention prayers in school. And sometimes God was like, you're cute, bud. You actually didn't put in as much work as you think you did. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you get the grade that you deserve to get, but I still love you, and I'm rooting for you. <laughs> I want the best for you. 
placing ourselves in a proper place before God. But then Paul says, with thanksgiving. So it's not just praying. It's not just prayer and petition. But with thanksgiving, present your request to God. What does thanksgiving accomplish? And what's the reason that we have to be thankful? It is our ability to look at our present circumstances and to say, this is not all there is. That the, the one that I'm crying out to, the one that I want to see answer a prayer in this way is also the one who has determined the future, is also the one who holds the future, is also the one, as, as David says in Psalm 139, all of my days are written in his book before one of them ever comes to be. Every word that I speak, he knows it before it ever comes out of my mouth. Every place that I am is a place that God already is. He has seen my struggle, he has seen my trouble, he is present in it, he has provided a way for me to be sustained in the midst of it. Maybe he's provided a way out of it, but if not, he's provided me the grace to be able to walk through it, to continue to testify to his goodness and his grace no matter what comes, says Paul who is writing this from a prison cell, says Paul who, is, who knows what it is to have been beaten, who knows what it is to have been shipwrecked, who knows what it is to have gone hungry, who knows what it is to have been bitten by a snake, who knows what it is. To, to have gone naked, who knows what it is to have been beaten with an inch of his life, and yet in the face of all of that, as he says in 2 Corinthians, he still is able to have concern over the church, not himself, but over the church. And are they living into the goodness of God? Are they living into the, the call to proclaim the gospel in all circumstances? The reason that Paul is able to do this, and the reason that the anthem of Paul's life is an anthem of gratitude and thanksgiving is because he is so secure in the goodness of God and the work that Jesus has accomplished on his behalf that he knows that his present circumstances do not determine his ultimate reality. Amen? So what would it look like for us to begin to be a people of thanksgiving? That even as we are crying out to God for God to answer prayer in a given way, we are still able to say, God, even if I can't see it, even if it's not readily apparent to me, would you help me to be a person of gratitude? Would you help me to be thankful? Thankful, the very like base level for what you have accomplished for me in the person of Jesus. That you love me enough to send him to live a perfect life, to feel the weight and the sting of sin as he died death on a cross. giving up his life, even, even as he was being tortured, to cry out, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Even at the base level, what do you have to be thankful for? Let's, let's play out. Without God's grace and love at work in your life, without the reality of that, where would you be right now? If it weren't for God's grace, if it weren't for God's faithfulness, if it weren't for God's love, where would you be right now apart from that? I've told you I would not be here. They would not hand me a microphone. I, I might not even be here physically were it not for God's grace and God's love and God's faithfulness in my life. There's always reason for us to give thanks. 
And it might not be our present circumstances, but we are called to give thanks in our circumstances. Because as followers of Jesus, our circumstances do not have to determine our ultimate reality unless we allow them to. We have to be careful that our rejoicing is not tied to the things of this world. Because if, I, if my rejoicing is connected to something in this world, then, then we, we learn really quickly that that's fleeting. Like I rejoice in the fact that I have a great job, but what happens if you lose your job? Then what happens to your rejoicing? I rejoice in the fact that, yeah, I just feel like I'm in a, a really great place financially. Fantastic, but what happens if all of that goes south? What if you lose everything? We're really quick to connect our rejoicing to things in this world. But what happens when those things don't turn out the way that we want them to? But if we rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in what's been given given to us in the person of Jesus and done for us in the person of Jesus, then there's always reason to give thanks. Even in the good things that God gives us, our rejoicing, our thanksgiving is never meant to, to terminate with that thing. That thing is always meant to be an expression of God's goodness and God's grace and God's love for us. It's always meant to point us to God as the giver of those good gifts. Our, our thanksgiving should never terminate with the gift. The gift should just be the thing that reminds us that we give thanks to the giver. So Paul says, in every situation, that's all situations, by prayer and petition, with Thanksgiving, present your request to God, and then this promise, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What's the result of humbling ourselves before the Lord, putting ourselves in a proper place before the Lord? What's the result of being people who, who, who offer thanks in all circumstances? The promise is that the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And the word that Paul uses there for guard is, is, is like, it's not like the guard standing before him. It's, it is like an army with, with you know, spear, sword, and shield in hand, ready to do battle on your behalf. That the peace of God, the peace of Christ, will, will go to battle on your behalf, will guard your heart in Christ Jesus. We keep ourselves in a proper place before the Lord and are a people of thanksgiving regardless of the circumstances that we have this abiding and enduring peace that is not determined by our circumstances. It is determined by the fact that we know that we are secure in the Lord. And that peace allows us to remain. It allows us to be that non-anxious presence. You, you know, look back at the, the, the story of Acts, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16. You know, the believers are thrown in prison. And, and what are they doing in prison? They are a non-anxious presence. They are worshiping. They are praising the Lord. They are praying. They are giving thanks to God in the midst of these circumstances. And, and so an earthquake comes. Door falls off its hinges. The guard comes, sees that the, you know, like this is not good. I, I'm not doing my job prison doors wide open and he's prepared to run himself through with his sword because he doesn't want to face the the consequences and and you hear from the prison wait don't harm yourself we're still here that peace allows us to remain 
It allows us to be steadfast when things are not going well. It allows us to be steadfast when we don't know what the future holds. It allows us to be steadfast when when the world just seems to be swirling around us. It allows us to be steadfast in the face of anything that this world can throw at us. It doesn't mean that it's not going to be difficult. It doesn't mean that those things won't hurt. It doesn't mean that we won't experience pain and loss. It just means that that peace gives us the ability to remain in the midst of it, to be for the world around us a non-anxious presence because our hope is rooted in something that is beyond this world and yet is very present with us. So I, I encourage you as we prepare for Thanksgiving, as you, I hope, prepare to celebrate with, with, with loved ones, even if that's not the case, even if you find yourself you know, alone, maybe by choice or by your circumstances, to know that there's so much that we have to be grateful for. All of us in this room, we just very simply went to sleep last night and woke up this morning. You didn't tell your heart to beat while you were sleeping. You didn't remind yourself over and over again, I need to draw breath. God sustained you in your most vulnerable state and gave you the gift of another day. That's a lot to be grateful for. There's so much that we have that gives us reason to be a people of thanksgiving. And I believe that if we are willing to make that our anthem like it was Paul's in all circumstances, we are willing to become a grateful people. Not only does it change our perspective on the world around us, but it begins to change the perspective of people around us because people lean into that. They want to know what is the source of your hope? What is it that allows you to be so thankful right now? What a great opportunity to attest and give testimony to your faith in Jesus. Like Paul, to be able to say rejoice. I'll say it again, rejoice. We stand and pray with me.